the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The God of this universe has extended to you an invitation to join him for dinner, a great banquet. So how are you going to respond? Let's talk about that next. It is an invitation to join the God of this universe for a great banquet. Basically, it's an invitation to join him for eternity. Sadly, so many people have a variety of excuses to avoid the great banquet. It's sad, but true. And that is where we find ourselves today in Luke 13, verses 22 through 30. Our series called Parables of Luke. We'll find ourselves looking at the great banquet and excuses for not attending. Let's catch up with Pastor Phil Howard, shall we? And today's broadcast of Truth For Today. They go to the outcast because, guess why he says this? We want to be sure that the master's house will not be emptied. He will not be insulted by an empty banquet house. So he says... If the elite don't want me, I'm going to the outcast. And they start inviting them. Then notice something. They say, he comes back in the narrative, okay, we've done what you said. But there is still room. (laughs) Uh, There's still plenty of room. What should we do now? And now it goes to a third category of people. Third category. What is this? Now, get outside of town. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. And these roads were in between the villages. Country lanes were probably either stone walls or uh, plant hedges where many folks, there was not motels. They slept along these walls. They would rest. Beggars would be out there. But these are outside the village, outside the city limits. And uh, it's very interesting as you look at this. uh, It's probably he's going beyond even Israel now. He's going beyond national limits. And believe it or not, Just because he doesn't want the Messianic banquet not full, he even got Gentiles on the invitation list. And this, by the way, in the parable, do you notice something? I want you to do this, and in the parable, this is the only thing that wasn't done. This left was left undone. This has been going on for 1,900 years. He said... My son came to the elite. He called the outcast of Israel. And my last instructions, I want a full house, even if I have to fill it with Gentiles who accept my invitation. And guess what? 
I've already RSVP'd. I'm going to be at the Messianic Banquet. I made my reservation in 1958. I already got a seat. You didn't know that. And when Peter gets to describing me, he says, you're a royal priesthood. You didn't know it. I'm from royalty. I belong to royalty. I'm really from depravity, but I now belong to royalty. I'm a royal priesthood, a kingly nation. How's that? When did you connect with royalty? When I RSVP'd for the Messianic banquet. When I said, I accept the invitation. When I found out what the menu was, I found out on this menu, you come to this banquet, you get peace. You come to this table, and God offers no one less than his son. He said, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, assimilate Messiah by faith, receive him. I hear you get love, joy, peace, forgiveness, acceptance, adoption, treated as heirs, joint heirs. I just hear you got all this at the table, and that's what I've, I've already, according to Hebrews 6, I've had a foretaste of the kingdom to come when I RSVP'd. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, I accept the invitation. I want to say to you today, he's still inviting people to the banquet both Jew and Gentile. Uh, Would you like to go to a Messianic banquet? And you know what? We're really going to eat at the banquet. And there will be no Weight Watchers. No Weight Watchers. No diets. Uh, And and we are going to eat real food. And you notice Christ, what he did in his post-resurrection appearances, he kept eating with them because that was a Messianic promise. Messiah will eat with his people. I mean, this is mind-blowing for deity, incarnated in a man. I will eat a meal with you. And, you know, just think of it. I mean, this just blows my mind. The second person of the Godhead who created the Milky Way, who made the bush burn that Moses is at, who was the rock in the wilderness, who was the cloud, who was the fire, who is the great I Am, that makes you tremble. He's the one that made Sinai tremble. And all of a sudden, he's whipping up some batter out at Galilee. He said, come on in, boys. I want to feed you. Come and let's dine. Wait, who's the cook? Messiah. The Messiah you've already assimilated. For every time I take the cup and eat the bread, I'm saying, I've already received you, Messiah. You're not the bread You're not the bread that Moses ate and died. This is a bread from heaven. And every time I take communion, I am getting a foretaste of the day I will see him face to face. And he serves me the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, salvation is a banquet. It's not a drudgery. It's a party. It's not a death march. And we are in the world today inviting these people yet out there in the roads, the country lanes. I've been talking about us becoming a missional church. That is that every one of us here have been saved to be sent to invite people to the banquet. Uh, that's, that's what it's all about. Would you like to come where there's peace? Would you like, right now, most of it's spiritual blessings, uh, forgiveness. But you know what? There were times that were strange in my own home where my mother became fractious. The change of life was not easy on my mother. She had me late in life as a seventh child. She didn't need a seventh child like me. 
and about 36, 37, I come along. So when I saw my mother as a teenage boy going through the change of life, oh, it was a roller coaster for her. It was hard on her. And she could be fractious. Uh, There's times, not many times, I went to bed wondering if my mom and dad would be married in the morning. Because she would threaten and she would get beside herself. Especially when my dad was out of work and iron workers used to be rained out a lot. And when there was no money in the house, my mother became a very, very miserable woman. How am I going to feed these kids? And she would do this and that. And I remember times she would be beside herself, fussy with my dad. And my dad would just give Ruth and I $5, go to the theater, get out of this house. We get away. We get back. They'd be holding hands and loving on each other. And boy, Ruth and I look at each other. Whew, good. Dad put on the old charm. It worked again. You know? And because you have to do that. There's something going to bed at night and wondering if the household will be in order the next morning. And I want to tell you, coming to this banquet feast, the first thing I realized when I was 14 God is my witness. As soon as I got home from that Tuesday night being saved, I got down a maroon Bible my old grandma Howard gave me, and I started reading the Bible, and I went to sleep that night on 11th and John in San Pablo, that Bible that my grandma gave me. And I'll tell you what I did. I slept like a baby. Peace. And I'd been in turmoil for months, feeling I was being hung over the mouth of hell that I was lost that I I had never accepted that I had all kinds of excuses uh, have you accepted let me just make some application here one our our great privilege as God's people is to say God has go, gone to great effort and expense to offer the human family who stole from him the apple from the beginning, he in return has made a feast of more apples than you could ever eat. And he said, if you'll take my son, I'll do for you what the apple in the garden never did. He will satisfy you and give you eternal life. The second thing is uh, the overwhelming amount of excuses people have for not coming and accepting the invitation. Uh, You hear this, I'm not good enough. You notice in this uh, list, he took the crippled, the lame, those who were overwhelmed. Let me tell you about the word compel. The word compel is so interesting. In ancient Near East, uh, when you compelled a man, they did this to Jesus on the Emmaus Road. Uh, They were walking along, and they compelled him to come in. They wanted him to eat with them. And it says they compelled him. And you know how they compelled him? They didn't grab him by the arms and use physical force. They kept begging of him. And it's an ancient Near East tradition. You never accept an invitation the first time it's given. They were taught to resist it for at least 15 minutes. I've got 
a commentary, I could give it to you, Peasants and Poets by Bailey. And he's quoting the Arab traditions of Palestine. You never accepted an invitation because, first of all, when they first had it, it can't be true. There's a mistake. Second of all, when you resisted the first invitation, you were wanting to test the sincerity of those who were inviting you, and it would measure how important you were to them. If they would persist in the invitation, they really meant it for sure, and they elevated what they thought of you by they would repeat the invitation. And so the compelling was repeat, repeat, repeat the invitation. Come, come, come. You know what? To tell you how much God loves you, he has probably invited you to this banquet probably a hundred times. And he keeps asking you to come. Isaiah's picture of God was he stood all day, it said, with his arms outstretched. Any of you guys remember P.E. or classes? They said, just hold your hands out. Just hold them. And the test was how long you could hold them. Well, Isaiah said, Messiah holds his arms out all day. And I want to tell you, I grew up in circles where you'd hear the last call. This is your last chance. Sometimes it was a real, real play to get you to make a decision that night. Well, it could be your last chance. We never know if we will live another day. But, So long as the churches in the world, our message is from God. We represent God. His invitation to the banquet is he's willing to beg you to come for the hundredth time. That's the way he compels you. And I don't know about you. I'd heard the call to come so many times before I ever came. And it was overwhelming grace that deity would keep sending me an invitation that I kept rejecting. It tells you how much he thought of you and how sincere he is about you being at the banquet. And you might be hearing him talk to your heart right today. You've never accepted my invitation. When will you tell me you'll come to the banquet by receiving the Lord Jesus as your Savior and I'll reserve a plate for you in the Messianic kingdom and at the table? He wants you at this feast, the feast of salvation that Messiah will host. Compel them, compel them to come in. Uh, Your excuses are not good enough. Oh, he never said you had to be good enough. He knows in this list, he must have insulted the Pharisee he was having dinner with. Don't tell me you'd have lame people, blind people. He was picking the dregs. He's picking the uh, homeless. He's picking the people living out on the edge of town, people we don't even know. You see, in his anger, he went to more mercy. In his anger, he said, I will no longer be selective. I'll get beyond the borders of Israel. I'll make the invitation as broad as the ends of the earth. Whosoever will, let him come, and I'll have you at this banquet, because my house will not be empty. I'm going to fill the banquet room in honor of my son. That's, we're headed for a banquet. I'm already nibbling on salvation, but what a bad day it will be to start partying. Some of you are party animals. I can see it in your face. Well, guess what? You've been saved for a party, and we are going to party for all eternity. I read something that was beautiful. 
that Spurgeon said. Some said, well, I haven't been predestined to be saved. I have not been elected. I don't, I'm just talking with someone recently. They said, uh, quit coming to church because they just heard me preach a sermon. They just decided they weren't elect. So they, they quit coming. Listen to what Spurgeon said. Some say you haven't been predestined. Not predestined. If a man falls overboard, a rope is thrown to him. But he says, I should like to grasp that rope, only I do not know whether I'm predestinated to be drowned. You fool. He will go down to the bottom of the ocean with that lie in his mouth. We do not say, I would sit down to dinner today, but I will not eat because I do not know whether I'm predestinated to have dinner. Election's a great truth, but don't let it keep you from believing. You are ill, and the doctor comes and he says, there is medicine. I will guarantee you, if you take it, it will heal you. But you say, sir, I would take it all at once, but I do not know whether I am predestinated to get over the fever. If I am predestinated to live, why then, sir, will I take the medicine? But I must know first of all if I'm predestinated before I take the medicine. Ah, says the doctor, I'll tell you what. If you do not take it, you are predestinated to die. And if you're here wondering whether God wants you or not, he doesn't invite anybody he doesn't want to come. 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 It's a fine line, the story. No man can come to the banquet who's not invited. And guess what? Those who do not come cannot blame God's elective love. They will have to blame their refusal to accept the invitation. It's interesting. You miss what he says right here at the end. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is so beautiful. You know what he's saying here? Uh, Have you ever been unable to make a wedding? We don't do it much. Because we're too gluttonous. Uh, But sometimes in weddings, people will send you a piece of the wedding cake. You know, if you weren't able to make it, they just want you to know. Well, in this culture, if you could not legitimately make a banquet, they'd save you a portion of the meal. And they'd have the servant bring it to you. But the master says, there will be no portions of this banquet sent to anybody. You must be in attendance. You've got to accept the invitation. He won't be sending you a piece. And so I say to you, God in love wants you at this banqueting table that his son paid for at the cross, paid for all the expenses for the lame, the crippled, the hell raisers, the worst of sinners, the worst of us. You can't, it is one thing. Notice this. I do not mean to be class prejudiced. But it is amazing to me that the higher up you go on the social ladder, the fewer yeses you get. Few that are rich ever accept. For they say, I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want. I'm not dependent on a banquet. But a poor man says, 
This is my only opportunity, for I've never been at a banquet. And so you find the gospel does the best, getting people to this banquet. In need, lame, blind, unlikely, poor. The lower you go, you find those who say, this invitation sounds sweet to me. I need such a Savior. I want him. You don't have to be broke to become a Christian. But as Will Rogers says, God must have loved poor folks because he made so many of them. So come. Come. And I say to you, as you go into the community, don't you see you're on a mission of good news? I'm having to repent over negativism in my own spirit. I have to repent. We are members of the banquet committee that the master has employed. Would you go and invite the others by the byways and highways? Compel them. Keep telling them. Have you ever got tired of telling your loved ones about the gospel or telling your neighbors, good night, I've told them three times and they haven't said yes. Oh, Keep compelling them. Keep telling them. Keep telling them. Keep telling them. This merciful God that needs to beg, no man becomes a beggar in inviting to this table because he wants the house full. He will beg a man to be reconciled. God will stoop to begging. Please come to the table. Please come to Christ. And I'll offer you the feast of a lifetime. And those of us who've already said yes, let me tell you, the hors d'oeuvres are great. All the tasters are magnificent. If there's more like what I've already tasted, I cannot imagine what all is going to be like. And that's what's going to be wonderful. The taste buds that you will need will be demand a glorified body because there's going to be taste in this banquet you've never tasted in this life. And you just get it by saying... Lord Jesus, I accept your invitation. I come lame, poor, blind, unworthy. I'm overwhelmed. You know, when you first hear the offer, I think these men must have said, No, it can't be true. No master ever knew us. No master even knows we live outside this town. We can't get into the elite parties. The Pharisees don't have us at the... This cannot be true. Keep telling them until it sinks in that the master is sincere. He wants them at his table. He wants them. And guess what? Through sovereign grace, he got all of us saved sinners at the table. And I, I tell you, I'm not worried about if I'll be at his right hand or his left hand. Just to be in the banquet hall. I love the story. I close that uh, two famous preachers were having great difficulties with one another. They were in two different theological camps. One was more of a fighter than the other. And uh, it was splitting up the churches in England. And the newspaper was making a great deal of this. And it was the famous John Wesley and George Whitfield. And... Uh, one believed one thing, one believed the other, and the London newspapers wanted to fan it and, and create a greater gap between them. 
And uh, when they interviewed George Whitfield, they asked, says, Mr. Whitfield, we want to ask you one thing. Do you think when you get to heaven, you'll see John Wesley? George Whitfield said, absolutely not. I absolutely will not see. They loved it. They wrote it down. Then another newspaper said, and tell us why, sir, will you not see Sir, he will be so much closer to the throne of God than me that it's unlikely that I'll ever be able to see. But if I could just be in the banqueting room, it will be enough for me. We don't have to worry about where we'll be. Just be at the table. And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. As we close out our program today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the broadcast has encouraged you, has ministered to your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can contact us. By phone, obviously the easiest, 855-833-9864. Again, simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available, again, there at truthfortodayradio.org. Or, again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support. As you link arms with us financially, we are able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. So please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.